On this episode of No Blueprint, we sit with Sherelle Dorsey, a student of life and a master's student at Columbia University School of Journalism. We talk to her about her upbringing, mentors, entrepreneurship, and what's next. We hope you enjoy. What's up, everybody? I go by the name of Domo. And I go by the name of Yoshiko. We sit with entrepreneurs and artists across disciplines to share their stories, insight, and gems. Their journey will inspire you to think about community and your own narrative, how it shapes who you are and what your legacy will be. You're listening to No Blueprint. No Blueprint. No Blueprint. No Blueprint. You are listening to No Blueprint. No Blueprint podcast. And today we have a special guest in the house. Hey. Sherelle Dorsey. (laughs) It's so good to be here. It's so good to be home. Yes. Gosh. Yes. We're so we're so excited to have you. It's insane though. It's insane to be like in a neighborhood that has changed so drastically. Yeah. And to like have that moment where you crave like a piece of the community that you remember mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, that's not there anymore. Right. Cause I just knew I was gonna get some fried catfish and greens from Red Apple. And then it was like, oh, but like red apple don't exist no more. And you're right. just like, okay, Crushed. so on to plan number two. <laughs> right, right. Side note: so this space actually that we're in right now is a community project that we work. Um, Maya and I are working on where we're gathering stories of folks who have either lived or worked or done business in the neighborhood. And so we're starting a small podcast, separate podcast about that. So I'm working on three podcasts right now. But a separate podcast just with stories from community folks like the ones you see right behind you. This is awesome. Yeah. I love this. I love this. Yeah. So I told you a little bit about the podcast. We're speaking to entrepreneurs, but the center around our podcast is around culture and how that helped you in your passion and in your journey through this, right? And I think your story is wonderful and, and connects through that. My first question, who are you? My name is Sherelle Dorsey. I am Seattle born and bred through and through. Grew up in the South the South End, so between Skyway and Rainier Beach. Went to St. Therese, Zion Prep, Hawthorne Elementary, Meany Middle School, graduated from Franklin High School. And I am a social entrepreneur. I am a data and tech journalist. Most of all, like I'm a community builder. So no matter where I've lived, I've lived in about six different cities um, oh, wow. in, the, in the U.S. So between uh, New York, Newark, Bridgeport, Charlotte, various places in Jersey, uh, L.A. for a, for a stint. Um, I've always tried to find ways to be part of the community, um, bring my talents, my skills. But most of all, speak to people about their stories mm. and, and write about their stories write about the innovators and and the folks that we don't always look at as everyday heroes that are doing significant things. That's legit. And tell us about your businesses. My businesses is, 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 um, yeah, so so I I run the PlugDaily.com, which is the daily tech newsletter that covers founders and innovators of color. So I launched that back in April of 2016. I had been writing about 
innovators of color outside of Silicon Valley specifically and really got to a place where as I was reading and trying to stay on top of business and tech news, I realized there's just not a lot of representation of what was going on with people of color. And I'm like, I know software engineers, I know people with dynamic tech businesses that we're not covering as rigorously as we are covering Gates and Zuckerberg. Um, so that was an experiment of, are people even you know interested in, in hearing every single day like what's happening in terms of innovation from the perspective of a person of color, a woman of color? And then I also have uh, Black Tech Charlotte, again, started off as an experiment, really trying to create a more diverse entrepreneurial ecosystem. So Charlotte is one of those cities that is growing exponentially. Um, I think they'll have about a million people in the city that have moved to the city within the next couple of months. And the tech scene is growing in the Southeast. Um, but the challenge is that even though Charlotte is diverse, you don't see that reflected in the way that businesses are being built or the ecosystem uh. is being cultivated. And I think that I think that there is opportunity for us to make sure that you know, folks of color are, are on the docket. But, you know, again, you know, someone kind of needed to step up and make that happen. So Black Tech Charlotte has been alive for the last year. And in 2018, we're opening an office space. We're really trying to be that go-to place for if recruiters are looking for diverse talent, they're coming to us first. So those two things I've been running. And then I'm also in grad school at Columbia. So I got that, rocking that my sweatshirt. That little thing, that little school. <laughs> that little school, that little, you might have heard of it, maybe right. not. But yeah, I'm in a data journalism program. And so got to a place where I wanted to continue to refine my craft. But most of all, get very granular in the things that I was studying. And I feel like yeah. there's no one looking at... I don't want to say no one. I think there's some people who are doing some pretty um, covert work right now from an academic-based research perspective, but there's not a ton of public discussion, reporting, or what have you that's measuring what's happening in the tech ecosystem as it relates to people of color who will be outnumbering kind of the, the you know, our, our Caucasian counterparts, you know, by the year 2020. And so there's a lot of activity, but no one's really charting that or documenting it in a substantial way. And I think that if we take the data, which is going to be historic, and start mapping it with what exists now, we can also start to find some areas of opportunity in our communities to address some major right. issues. Wow. So you're busy. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. that's why I day drink on Sundays. <laughs> three mimosas. Hey, hey, I want to go back to you growing up. Who were some of the folks who showed you that you could do what you are doing now? That it was all possible. Or were there folks that showed you that this that that the life that you live now was actually possible? Yeah, I think that there were quite a few people who really kind of. Just they lived their lives, and and as I was observing, it allowed me to sort of see that they had no limitations on their lives. So, I mean, for my mom, like being a huge community social person, watching her MC events, spearhead initiatives, whether it was for great houses and families for children, to canvassing for various politicians who were about change in, in community justice, like Bob Santos, um, who passed away this last year. You know, those are the individuals that, you know, I grew up, you know, breaking bread with them at the dinner table, you know, spending holidays, you know, in their lives. And so I got to see from that lens, this idea around organizing community and power from people of color from across all spectrums. And so so I think that was kind of a touch point of there's a sense of commitment and obligation that we have to our communities in terms of 
you know, you, no one is just going to create policies and opportunity for you out the kindness of their heart. Right. You have to fight yeah. for right. it. Mm-hmm. And I watched these individuals sitting meetings. And even though I was a little kid, you know, maybe playing tic-tac-toe or something random, like I, I got to see that firsthand with mm-hmm. my friend's parents. You know, we were playing in the playroom, but they were always together organizing in some kind mm-hmm. of capacity. Right. So I would say that was one of the first touch points. I also danced. I had been going to Iwajo since the time I was three. Eventually went to Rainer Dance Center. So Shar Younger owned Rainer Dance Center at the time. And she, I remember her breaking her foot. I was, I was taking tap and I had gotten really, really good. And so when she broke her foot, she asked me to come in and sub for her. It was my first time teaching. And I did so well that she let me start to teach classes on Saturdays. How old were you? I was 12. Wow. So I was 12 at the time, right? So I was 12. So yeah, Saturdays I would teach two or three classes. So I would advance. And Char was an entrepreneur. She also worked full time at the University of Washington as a nurse. And I mean, she ran that dance studio for as long as I can remember. I think she sold it about two years ago. I think she wanted me to have it. But I just, I never came back to Seattle, like, permanently. Mm-hmm. But she she invested in me. Not only was it like, yes, you can teach dance. I'll pay you to teach dance. So I was, you know, I'm 12, 12 years old, cashing my little $100 checks every weekend. You know, like, thought I was just out here making it rain. But, <laughs> but that was someone who, you know, would pick me up, take me home, you know, had a relationship with my mom. You know, bought me tap shoes because I was going through tap shoes like crazy. Uh, You know, so that was a community person who invested in me to this day. Like, it's still like sending me cards and, you know, we still communicate. You know, Monica McAfee, you know, which is, I I love this story because I spent so much time with her and her family, you know, to the point where, like, literally my mom's like, well, I'm going out of town. You can stay at the McAfee's house. And Monica opened up a hair salon in her mother-in-law unit. You know, so I watched her convert this entire space into her place of business you know I remember watching her get up at 6 a.m. to get ready for a client I saw her you know I would go with her to the beauty supply store so she could purchase her products I saw the process of customer service of counting inventory of hiring someone to clean the shop so that she can have a fresh clean space workspace for the day I saw her interact with her customers. I yeah. saw what she did to for customers who may not have had the resources. And she's like, well, I'll put you on a payment plan mm-hmm. because I know that presentation is important to you or I know that presentation is important to the work that you do. And so I got to see that firsthand. Benita Thomas, who opened up a spot over in the, the Rainier, Rainier Valley, I saw her open up a hair salon and I got to go with her when she was deciding on the interior. What was that going to look like? I saw her negotiating the lease. So I got to observe and be in the same room with women who were literally deciding, this is the kind of way that I'm serving my community. And these were very, like, educated women who said, I want to do a business that is going to going to provide space and opportunity for others to thrive. Mm. And I think that by default, I saw that and I realized I don't have to go the status quo route. And I Mm. saw these women create out of nothing. And so even in high school, like, 
you know, from teaching dance, I started I started teaching private lessons. So I built up a business on that end during and high during high school. And then I might go work at the hair salon, sweep up some hair, talk to clients. I do that right before going to school. You know, so it was always this like training and incubation period. And I even tell folks, I'm like, you know, we spend a lot of money on, oh, like go to this incubator, blah, 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 blah. It's like, but what if we put resources towards those community businesses and create apprenticeship programs? Because that's what I had. Right. It's not always like sending them to, you know, the top tech star situation. It's like that person that does hold the hair salon across the street, they can teach skills in alignment with what's happening Absolutely. in the community. So why not resource them to be able to provide those opportunities? So anyway, that was my start. It That's, wasn't super high, you know, level, yeah. but it was yeah. it was you treat people well. Mm-hmm. Um you treat people well, you build, you give back to your community. And on top of that, like the women that, you know, I will say raised me in the realm of entrepreneurship, they drove fly cars. They wore fly clothes. They went to concerts. They traveled the world. Mm -hmm. You know, they got to live their life on their own terms. And even though others didn't agree with the way that they lived their lives, it was like, you can't say anything to me because I make my own money. I work hard. So I play hard. So that was kind of my experience. And I think that's that's what they showed me early on. And so I was always striving for that. Nice. Although the foundation doesn't relate to what you do now, it was still a very pivotal starting point for you. It's yeah. amazing. You had a lot of strong role models surrounding you. Absolutely. And I think it I think I had to look back on those experiences and really appreciate them because I think back to the strength of women in my life mm. and the reality of these women took me under their wing. They did not have to mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. They never had to. And they did more than just allow me to work there. They were embedded in, in my life and in my survival. And there's still people who, when I come home, it's like, I'm going to go stop and sit at their kitchen counter and talk. You know, they were invested. I think that's how communities thrive. Yeah. Because I think about my own my own responsibility and sort of why, like, even I have Black Tech Charlotte. Right. And now that we have a physical space, although I definitely pride on having the ability to be remote in my work, I realize how much the physical space mattered to my sense of identity right. and community. And so now that we're stepping into opening this physical space at the, in the Innovation District at Camp North End, which, is, which was formerly a distribution center for Rite Aid, before that it was a place during World War II they built missiles. Mm. So the architecture is just, it tells this crazy story. And then before that, Henry Ford built Model Ts. So it has this like... Wow ongoing history of just incredible innovation innovation. and so now as I look at you know we only have 1200 square feet of this particular subset of property but when I think about what is going to be the significance of us having a space and not just like let's have a party or let's just work out of here but how do we make this open available to the community and now I can take on that role that the women in my life took on for me. Absolutely. How do I make that happen? Right. You know, because I don't even know if they mm-hmm. realized that it was, I don't know if it was deliberate or intentional on mm-hmm. their end, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm, I'm thinking that I have to do that. Otherwise, right. I just have a space. But right. if I don't have a space that serves anyone, there's, it's a waste of, it's a waste of space. I mean, right. <laughs> at the end of the right. day. Right. So right. when did you realize the importance that these women played in your life? I think it was definitely sitting back and and, and reevaluating where I've come from, 
having an appreciation for being from Seattle, what that has meant, walking through all the experiences that I've had. Because I will say, I think I was really ungrateful. I felt as though there was a sense of entitlement. Like, yes, of course, of course, if I do X, Y, and Z, if I'm a good student, I'm in these programs, I'm out here killing it, of course I deserve X, Y, and Z. And so I think that I took those relationships for granted, so to speak. And so it really took me understanding that not everyone has communities like the one I I grew up in. They don't have villages like the one that I grew up in. But it took me almost leaving and to see how other people experience life to realize I have lived very well. Right. And and not from a standpoint of like I just I never had to suffer or work for something. But in the sense of there were literally people around me that were investing in my well being, mm-hmm. whether I saw it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. from the folks that and my mom was a single mom, so it was like from the folks that would pick me up from after school because my mom had to work late and she couldn't come and get me. But they were like, Oh well I'm gonna be on my way home. I'll pick up Sherelle, I'll keep her until you right. get off of work. Like little things like that that made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And the people to this day that are, are still in my life, people who have known me since I was like five years old. And even my friends, like I'm hanging out with, like my closest friends are people I've known since I was like in kindergarten. And I, I mean, I literally, I was like, damn, I'm old. I'm like, I've known you for 20, <laughs> for 20 plus years. That's insane. You know? And so mm-hmm. I, I think that it's taken some reflection going back into, you know, who were my examples? Who were my role models? I had a cousin who went um, off to school at Clark Atlanta University. Mm-hmm. And she, she would send me all kinds of books. She would subscribe me to business magazines. She would send me Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Mm. Robert Kiyosaki. And she would just try to get into my mind, you know, there's a certain way to do life. Mm -hmm. And you get to make a choice. It's all about strategy. And so I remember she bought her first house in Atlanta at 19 and had her line sisters from her sorority living in her house and essentially paying her mortgage. Wow. So by the time she graduated from college... She had already owned three or four homes. Wow. And so, and I don't even know how she had that sense of foresight, but she was just like reading and like, this is how you build wealth. This is how you put yourself up so you don't have to have the next generation start from zero. Mm. So there were just all these like folks that were sharing knowledge. game. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't just that. It was also, I had to have the hustle in me. And I'm also like very, you know, like I said, I had that sense of entitlement. So it was like, if my mom was like, no, I can't do X, Y, and Z, or, you know, that's outside of the budget. This is, this is, this is the bare minimum of what I'm going to do. I have to go and figure out how to get what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that came from, okay, well, listen, I teach tap. I teach this. I'm working at the hair salon. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I created this business. And so now I have revenue coming in. So now I can make the, the kind of decision I want to make. And so that kind of inspired that hustle. So it's like, yeah, it's not enough to just have the inspiration and people investing in you. You also have to be like, I'm willing to go out there and work hard. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's right. that's dope. This is before we get to you and technology. And I know you spent some time at the TAF after school programs mm-hmm. and the internships. Can yeah. you talk more about that? During high school, Sherelle's mother would sign her up for the TTIP program at the Technology Access Foundation, which was located in Seattle's Columbia City neighborhood at the time. Here, she would obtain computer literacy skills, mentorship, and another example of a business owned by a woman of color in Trish Milan's Zico. How did you get to writing? 
Oh gosh, I I feel like I've always been writing when bookstores were like a thing. So I used to go, <laughs> like, I used to go down to Elliott Bay Bookstore. So this is a confession. I hope my mother just listened to this. I would skip school sometimes and go to Elliott Bay and go just sit like sit down in the cafe That's and read a bunch of books. I didn't have any money, so I, I couldn't buy the books. I would skip school to go read books because school was such a distraction. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to learn any of these things. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because when you go to a bookstore, so you get to choose, that's or a library, right? Like, yeah. You get to choose what you want to learn right. and read about. I would skip school, and I would go to L.A. Bay Bookstore, and I would learn how to read books. But no, me and my mom, like, growing up, we would go to the bookstore. We would go to um, Barnes & Noble in South Center mm-hmm. on Saturdays, mm-hmm. and my mother would, like, let me go off into the kids' section. So I read a lot of, like, Walter D. Myers, of course, like, the American Girl mm-hmm. story, and... You know, and just in my house, like, we, we read. We and my mom read together, or we'd spend a Saturday, like, in our own little corners reading. And that was kind of how we did life. I got in trouble. It was, you are going to write out, you know, what what happened, where the disconnect was, and how you're going to correct your behavior. Because, mm-hmm. so, I had to express myself and my feelings and things like that through writing and even to this day like I keep I keep a journal that just helps me to get things out Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that writing could be a career Mm -hmm. I just assumed you know because the message is like go to school get a good job what have you there was never really Mm -hmm. a create you know create opportunity for yourself through this through this um, medium Mm -hmm. Um, and then blogging became a big thing it wasn't probably until about 2008 2009 that I started my own blog I had a Mm -hmm. beauty blog I was in fashion school so I was all about like organic beauty especially for brown girls because you know all the organic beauty folks were like these pale white chicks and you're just like that's cool but there ain't no shades over here for me and I don't want toxins in my cosmetics either right Mm -hmm. so I started writing through that um, and at the same time, I was actually going up to Columbia and sitting in on lectures and listening to some of the research studies on nice. what was going on. I mean, I was always sitting in someone's... I, I went to other people's school more than I went to my school. <laughs> I have this, like, apparently, I just was you like... You found your way, your own education? I always found my own education, exactly. Right. I knew what I right. wanted to learn and what I was interested in. Um, and so I tried to start navigating towards writing about those things. Um, and then I read Van Jones' book, Van Jones, who used to serve on the White House Council for Green Jobs and obviously is a you know big political commentator and also heads up Prince's Yes, We Code. I read his book, The Green Collar Economy, and always been into sustainability. You know, being from Seattle, like, they drive, you know, conservation into us. We recycle. Exactly. And when I saw his connection between lower-income communities and communities of color and the ability to be large long-term participants in the economy through sustainable resources from needing people to learn HVAC technology and solar panel installation to, you know, the the companies in Baltimore and D.C. that were putting solar panels onto rooftops and making millions of dollars doing this. I thought, oh my gosh, this is how we solve poverty. Mm -hmm. That was always my thing. This is how we solve poverty in communities of color. And this man is talking about it. Why is Black Enterprise not doing this? Why isn't Ebony talking about this? Why isn't Essence talking about this? And I remember calling up Black Enterprise with a shaky voice, like, so I want to write about the green collar economy and I want to interview such and such and such and such. I don't think I had any real clips or anything of like things I had been doing, but the editor at the time, Darren Sands, he's now at a BuzzFeed, he was like, okay, cool, write about it, okay. And it was like, oh, 
And you're gonna pay me for this? Yeah. Oh, so then I'm like, you know me, I'm forever the hustler. I'm like, I can start writing stories and get paid, what? And I mean, my blog had taken off and I had gotten some sponsorships, so I knew the advertising model, but I was like, wait, I can actually get paid to write? about things that I care about and about things that I think are important that aren't being talked about in the mainstream. And so I just kept pitching stuff. And I was like, well, I was at this lecture and you know, black and Latino girls are starting their periods early because of the estrogen in their hair products. Mm-hmm. Like we need to start talking about this or Cory Booker did a food stamp challenge and you know, or you know, the president or not the president, the, um, the head of the EPA, Lisa P. Jackson, who's now at Apple, you know, she's going around to churches and talking about environmental justice. And, you know, like I just was digging naturally into things, just being curious about how do we solve these problems mm-hmm. on a larger scale mm-hmm. and how do we talk about them? And so I can't even say my early work was great. You know, it was like, fine, okay. Editors always make you seem smarter than you really are, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I tried and I pushed until, you know, I got good feedback and it kept helping me to grow. And I think I could not have gotten into Columbia with the grades I had in undergrad, because like I told you, I was never there. Like, (laughs) I mean, I was there for the important things, but I was barely there. So it was that I had a portfolio of work that stayed thematic, you know, and I could show, like, I've been writing about these things for a while. I've been curious about these topics. Like, yeah, my undergrad grades suck, but see, look at what I've accomplished, Right. Yeah. you know? Right. So, what tips or advice would you give like folks who are getting into entrepreneurship who are maybe doing the the 5 to 9 weekend mm-hmm. passion passion yeah. projects, what passion projects writing in their passion planners? Um, what tips would you give them about um, diving into entrepreneurship? I would say think, you know, think strategy, um be clear that your passion project is not a vanity project. Mm-hmm. I'm a little biased. Like I'm, I'm tired of people creating things just to create. I think it's wasteful. I think it's not useful. I think when you find a um, a problem and you're trying to solve the problem through your business, I think that's the best way to start a business. Mm-hmm. And like Instagram and selling tummy tea is not a business. Like it may put some. I'm serious. Speak on it. It, it may put some <laughs> dollars in your pocket, but. Again, when I go back to the women that were hiring the teen girls to come help in the hair salon, Mm -hmm. you know, that put money and resources back into the community. It wasn't just about, look at me, I take cute pictures, what have you. Like, people are literally being killed in the streets. So I always try to approach it from, I always try to approach it from, how can I support and empower my community? And then how do I get smart about the resources that I have at my disposal? And so I think there's enough people out there that can show you how to get started. Strategy and knowing your why is the most significant piece of that. And then it is, yeah, you're doing your passion. I'm still doing my passion project. I'm going to school full time. And then I have other individuals that I contract with to help me run my day to day so that I can be in three and four places at one time because I have other individuals that are executing on my behalf. I think also knowing knowing what is your city going to pay for. I think minority contracting and procurement is the most underutilized resource. And I know that there's going to be some changes happening to the SBA. There's going to be budget cuts. But there's still resources for women and minority businesses that go underutilized. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the city, if you go sit down with some of these free in consultants at the SBA, they'll tell you like what they're giving contracts for. Mm. I think it's smart. Like, listen, I've started plenty of businesses with zero dollars in the bank. 
And it is a struggle to try to keep, you got to keep landing that next client. You got to keep landing that next sale in order to stay alive, right? <laughs> but what if you could walk in, talk to an SBA consultant and say, okay, oh, so the city needs IT services. Okay, let me get my business plan together. Let me call up my friends who might be developers, find me a team, put a business together. And now let's go get this half a million dollar contract. And now you got long-term sustainability. You've got a city behind you to give you technical assistance, mm-hmm. to walk you through compliance. I mean, there's smarter ways to do things. Um, and the great thing is, like, you don't need much money to get started. You can get your website, your domain. You can spend $100. We talk about the $100. There's, like, the lean startup, um, $100 startup. There's so many different ways and tactics. But I think that the biggest question is, are you making the world a better place because of your product? Or are you just, you just doing things to, like, make sure you're good? And I think that's yeah. I think that's what's problematic in our generation right now. Um, are you stunned for the I gram? Agree. I agree. Are you stunned for the gram, yeah. or are you are you making this are you making yeah. this world a better place? I feel like I talked a lot. No, this is no great. more questions. That's- I'm gonna have a couple more minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Listen, now y'all right? gonna be on a roll. Right, right, right. <laughs> I just, so where do we want to go next? Well, I'm curious what's next. I mean, you've hinted at it yeah. throughout the conversation, but yeah. So the plug daily will continue to exist. Uh, it's growing just every day, almost like it's on its own. I want to continue to support writers and reporters that are diving into diverse stories around mm-hmm. innovation. Mm-hmm. So I think that we'll be bringing on a crop of two or three writers to write about what things things that no one else is writing about. So that will continue to grow. And with Black Tech Charlotte, I'm going to continue to build that out. I want it to be much more regional, have much more regional leadership, um, and move more into almost a matchmaking sort of company, when companies uh, from startups to tech companies to whatever, you know, are looking to fill a position, they're coming to us first and asking for our Rolodex, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But then we're also a, a space for technologists and entrepreneurs to get together to meet up with people who could potentially be business partners, you know, or, you know, they can get access to resources and know, oh, there's like a, a there's a, there's a fund here, there's you know, this here or what have you. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think long-term from the writing perspective for myself is maybe a book or two. I, I think that there's a missing link of, I think the, the from a diverse perspective of business leaders, case studies that we have not evaluated of people mm-hmm. who've literally changed communities, but mm-hmm. the only people that know about their stories are within the community, right. you know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised there's not an analysis on the life of Bob Santos outside of the Seattle Times story. Right. right. You know, yeah. I think that there are people whose lives, whose body of work is so powerful that right. to not have that written, I mean, you know, just that's that's the role of the storyteller. Um, mm-hmm. So even what you guys are doing here, like this stuff lives in perpetuity. Right. Um, how do we continue to document people's lives? I mean, it, it, the, their work is 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 thankless again, and it lasts for generations. Um, so how do we learn from it? And if there's no one there to document it, it's like all those stories die as people get older and they age yeah. and, and they're no longer with us. So I think that's I think that's the bigger part of my life work mm-hmm. is I wanna I wanna document. And then I think I, I want a wine bar when I'm older. I think I just wanna like drink <laughs> Have wine you been and to read the books. Station wine bar? No. Go. Okay. Next time next time you're in town, next time. you're leaving tomorrow. But the state so they turned the old station into a wine bar. Wow. And it's actually it's it's nice. It's very small. But it's I love nice. it. It's and nice. that's all I want. I feel like I'm just going to be like the old auntie that's yelling at the kids. And I'm going to be drinking wine and having sit my books. 
and just yeah. yelling, you guys need to get it together. You know, like <laughs> just something like that. Get your so, life. Right. I'm just I'm cool. I'm 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 still easy. I'm still laid back Seattle. So how can how <laughs> can people it. how can people support what you're doing and where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm at thepluggedaily.com. Definitely subscribe to the newsletter. Um, you know, we send out a daily, literally, you know, five top stories each day, our insights and analysis on what's going on in diverse um, tech and business news. We also send it out weekly for those who don't want their inbox flooded every single day. You know, I'm also at Sherelle underscore Dorsey on Instagram and Twitter. It's a great way to connect with me, follow some of the work that I, I have going on. Um, and also some of the work I always try to promote what other people are doing that I think is really interesting. So it's a great way to find out about just general the industry. And then with like Black Tech Interactive, you know, it's like come out to Charlotte. Come see yes. what innovation looks yes. like. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to host tours of people to come and see. Like, I think it, it helps when we're all learning from each other what, what's happening in our cities mm-hmm. and exchanging information and advice. And I think generally, like, be be a pillar in your community. You know, mentor somebody. Like, don't just wear the T-shirt and, you know, stunt for the gram. Like, get out there. Like, just literally do something. I mean, our, our kids are hurting. You know, our, our elders are aging. Mm-hmm. You know, we need we need strong, I think, leaders. Like, we have to be the kind of people that develop other people to be leaders. And if we don't do that, we are going to see, I think, a grave deficit of folks who are really concerned about the state and the welfare of our community. So yep. um, I think that's the biggest call to action for all of us. That's, and that's, that's it. That's it. That's it. Thank you so much. Yes, yes thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. This was wow. fun. Right. Farewell, TV land. <laughs> If you liked what you heard, be sure to donate so we can keep going. We are on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment. You have no idea how much it helps. We also want to know what you think. You can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can even use the hashtag NoBlueprint. And if you're really down with the movement, you can join our Patreon account and become a patron, where you'll get exclusive content and limited edition merchandise. No Blueprint is powered by Ambassador Stories. We share stories of the people, places, and spaces that bring soul to our communities. No Blueprint is recorded at Ambassador Stories Studios and co-produced with me, Maya Aina. Hear more episodes of No Blueprint and get official No Blueprint merchandise at noblueprintpodcast.com.